Welcome to another episode of Coffee with Kareem. I am your host, Kareem Sirajuddin. I turned uh, 39 on July 30th. It was also the day of Arafah. And uh, alhamdulillah, you know, did the fast with the family. Had Eid. And I'm just, to be honest, everybody, I'm just overwhelmed. Um, I had got three kids who are very young and, you know, everyone's just contained with the whole COVID thing. Uh, so it's been tough. I just needed a little more me time, self-care time. And uh, that includes getting outside, exercise, uh, playing some music. Believe it or not, I'm a human being too and uh, got problems. Yeah, I turned 39 and last year of 30s, here we go. I always found it interesting that uh, some Muslims have a big problem with celebrating birthdays. Um, I I don't. I mean, I I got myself a nice ice cream cake. That's one of my things because I'm a summer baby. So swimming pools, ice cream, it's always part of my birthday experience. And uh, it was nice to go get a ice cream cake. Uh, so I've met more Muslims that would rather grieve over the death of somebody versus celebrate a birthday, which is interesting because both of them are Allah's will. Allah chose when you came in and when you're going out. Uh, so it's interesting that some some Muslims, especially those that think birthdays are haram, tend to spend more time grieving when somebody does the opposite of a birthday, which is, you know, their death day, leave the world. So why don't we just have a little more balance? Uh, I think we gotta bring back more attitude of celebration, of color, of joy uh, in our lives. Life is hard as hell as it is. Why do we take away the extra joys and celebrations that are included there? You know, it's like, why not? Celebrate. Be grateful that Allah gave you another year or gave your child or spouse another year. Reflect on how the years are passing and we're all gonna die soon. Pretty much everyone who's listening to this, including myself, will be absolutely gone in a hundred years. I, I put my money on that, you know. No, not too many people live to be 100 these days. And uh, that means all of you listening, most likely, if you're anywhere between the ages of 20 and up, you're going to be gone in 100 years. So every birthday is a reminder of a year past. What did I do with myself? What am I still stuck in? What did I gain? What? How did I waste my time? What do I want to do more of? These are things I think about on my birthday. Um, besides enjoying a little gift and some cake or something. And uh, it gets to be a day where you have a pass to chill and, and maybe even do something that you want to do and everyone conforms because you're, it's your special day. I think it's a great concept. Why not? Enjoy it. So today I'm just going to keep it simple. Um, the theme that really, I think, captured my heart is the theme of um, denial. Uh, denial just gets in the way of so much stuff. And if we were to take a simple model of the world, okay, as the following. The human being is either in a state of dhikra or ghafla. Dhikra means to make mention, to remember, to recall. Or you're in a state of ghafla, heedlessness veiling, covering up, being in denial. And from ghafla is how kufr, shirk, 
you know, nifaq, fahsha, all those bad things come from that state initially, right? And from dhikra comes iman and islam and amal as-salih and so forth, right? And taqwa, it comes from dhikr, essentially. Isn't it true? So I wanted to address the ghafla side, which in many ways, I, I think one way to put it in a modern context is denial. And it's no surprise or shocker that the first pillar of Islam is the shahada. And oftentimes, including myself, you know, we think, oh yeah, the first pillar is to say, La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah, there is no God except the God. And Muhammad وسلم, is his messenger. And of course, that is one of the keys to the universe itself. But it's interesting that the shahada, as you know, people, has its own meaning. Shahada, yashhud, shahada means to bear witness to the truth to testify to what is real and what is true, right? This is the opposite of denial right there. In other words, being an honest person, a truthful person, an open person, someone who wants to seek and identify the truth, someone who is willing to receive the truth. This is the opposite of denial. And denial causes a lot of problems for people, for nations, for families, I'm telling you. It does. I mean, every single problem you can think of that's out there, racism, ethnocentrism, political conflict, military conflict, it's all about being in denial about something, right? Not seeing things the way they are, denying that there's actually a problem or that denying that there isn't a problem and that we're just making one up so that we can take resources or kill these people or fight here or put our planes there. It's all denial, essentially. It's the opposite of being honest and accepting honesty. And that's part of what Islam and Iman means, right? It's to find security and trust in accepting what is real and what is true. And then you work with that. So denial actually manifests itself in a lot of interesting ways, a lot of interesting ways in human psychology. And I'd say that let's start with that first defense mechanism, the actual defense mechanism of denial itself. Perhaps the first question to address is what are defense mechanisms? Why do human beings have them? Defense mechanisms are mental processes initiated typically unconsciously to avoid conscious conflict or anxiety or discomfort. So they are internal methods a person uses for physical, social, emotional survival. And they are methods to keep securing our sense of ego in that process. Now, why would human beings do this? Well, Human beings have actually genetically been the same for a long time, hundreds of thousands of years. And essentially, we're wired to pursue pleasure and avoid pain, right? Everything you can think about is about pain and pleasure. And anxiety would fall under pain. Comfort would fall under pleasure. Uh, joy would fall under pleasure and so forth. So humans are actually trying to protect themselves constantly. We need to survive and we want to thrive. And there's different ways our survival and thriving can be destroyed. Now, if you think about a context 10,000 years ago or 100,000 years ago, where there's only 30 people in a tribe living together, and the knucklehead who's supposed to be on night watch falls asleep, and a bunch of animals come and eat all your fruits and vegetables, let's say. That person now is going to be called out by the town chief, right? Like, hey, Larry, what were you thinking? Now we lost our food and we're going to be hungry and the winter's coming. Basically, you jeopardized all of our survival and 
existence here, right? So what's Larry going to do? I mean, is he going to say, well, it wasn't me. Well, you were the one on Nightwatch, even though that's a type of denial. Or it's not my fault. Or you shouldn't have put me on Nightwatch because I told you I was too tired today and now we lost all our food, so it's not my fault. These are all defense mechanisms. In other words, the ego is trying to protect itself. It's trying to deny some facts that could threaten the well-being or existence or survival of that ego, right? This is why we use defense mechanisms even till today. They may have different social sophisticated forms, but fundamentally the drive is about, I can't mess things up. If people perceive me as messing things up or a threat as messing things up, that means I can lose resources, access to resources, access to people and resources. And so we keep using defense mechanisms all the time. Everybody does this. So denial is the first defense mechanism that most of us use, right? Which is about a refusal to recognize or acknowledge an actual threatening situation or a threatening situation that you caused. So, for instance, the first sign of recovery or healing or change is awareness and acceptance. You have to accept that you are an alcoholic or that you are abusive or that you are, you know, losing your way on the path and so forth or that you're not working hard enough. You have to accept and understand the facts of things in order for you to move forward and accomplish. So in the same scenario with Larry and the tribe 10,000 years ago, if Larry took, let's say, responsibility and said, you know, yes, this was my fault and there's no denial, but he's, you know, taking on responsibility, he actually has a higher chance of not being killed or kicked out of his tribe, right? Because at least they can feel like he has humility, remorse, they can trust him, they can work on it. But if he's in denial, now he is a bigger threat to everybody because everybody knows he's the cause for the crops being eaten on his night watch and Larry doesn't want to admit it and he doesn't want to accept it and he's finding 101 ways to not take responsibility that makes him more threatening to be part of our tribe we do this in our families in our marriages in our communities in our nations right i mean don't get me started on politicians so denial is a very common defense mechanism that we use. And it's the opposite of the shahada, to bear witness to what is real, to what happened, to what is true. And subhanAllah, as a believer, as a Muslim, as a person of faith, even if it's a different faith, you can't get far if you don't even want to find comfort or embrace the truth and what is real. You can't. I mean, how many of us have experienced a spouse or a family member, and we're just like, oh, don't even bother. They're in such denial about what happened, or they'll never admit that they did something wrong. They're totally in denial. They're just going to remain in denial for years and years and years. People do this for years, guys, right? They remain in denial about something that happened that happened bad to them or something bad they did to someone else, you know? And for sometimes, people will remain in denial till they die, Unless the pain or the effects of that thing, which they need to accept and be honest about, you know, the pain starts to outweigh the pleasure, right? Because the reason why we go into denial is for a false sense of pleasure. I want to protect myself. I'm going to somehow, you know, double down on them still liking me or seeing me in a high, you know, good 
having a good vision of me, you know, this is what people will do. It's like they'll keep lying just to try to keep face or a, a good repertoire, even though everyone knows they're still in denial about something. So it's like a it's like a type of desperation, right? Another common defense mechanism is rationalization, which means we're making up acceptable excuses for unacceptable behavior. So, you know, God forbid somebody is physically abused or harmed in their family, and the one who got beaten, um, they're somehow told that it's their fault. Well, you made me hit you. It's because of your, you know, criticisms that I lifted my hand. So the person is now trying to use uh, acceptable excuses for an unacceptable behavior. Rationalization. Right? We try to justify um, with some reasoning argument that I, what I did, what I did, which is clearly wrong on paper, is okay for me right now in this moment. And that's a very scary trend to have in your personality. Rationalizing everything that you do even when it's wrong or blatantly clear that it's harmful. Projection is a, another common defense mechanism. Projection is when we place our own unacceptable thoughts or desires onto others, as if the thoughts or desires belonged to them and not to oneself. Why do we do this? We project or put on to others our own flaws or growth areas or our own thoughts and desires or feelings that are uncomfortable for us to handle. We want to release this energy. We want to deal with it somehow. And if it's hard for me to accept that I have these feelings and thoughts, which is a type of denial, then I will try, I can easily see it in others because it's so familiar with my own personal self, it becomes easy for me to objectify or see it in someone else, but I'm not actually taking responsibility, right? So for example, let's say, you know, sister X, Y, and Z is attracted to her sister's husband, but she's in denial about it. And she actually starts believing that her brother-in-law is the one who's attracted to her and starts making up stories and interpreting things and even talks to her sister about it. Why? Because she doesn't want to deal with her own attraction to her brother-in-law. So she tries to project it or place it on him. In other words, the unacceptable thoughts or desires in this moment I'm going to see it in this person that I actually have it for. This is projection. Another example could be, I know I am a lazy bum. I don't exercise. I eat crappy. And every time I see my spouse, I criticize them for being out of shape and not taking care of themselves. And what are you eating? And how can you do this? And it's because those are the same feelings and thoughts I have towards myself. This is projection. It's also a type of denial because I'm not accepting the truth about my own state. We'll be right back after this short break.
Defense mechanism number four. Reaction formation. It's when we're forming an attitude or an emotional reaction that is the opposite of one's threatening or unacceptable actual thoughts. So for instance, let's say there is a gentleman who loves to party, loves to sleep with as many women as he can, wants to do drugs, wants to... you name it. This same guy that you know and always were worried about, like one week later becomes, you know, super, super conservative, religious, is upbringing fedjad and decides to wear a thawb every day and grows out a beard and talks about Islam constantly. All of a sudden you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is a reaction formation, you know, or uh, let's say it's a, a female in the same situation. And then she decides, you know, to become a nun. Right. It's like this extreme leap from the way I was to the opposite of the way I was somehow to fix what I really am. But what you have to do is just accept that you are struggling with those things and gradually work towards the middle. These extreme reactions only will cause another extreme reaction. How many of us know people who went super religious and then like a year or two later, they burn out or lose everything because it wasn't healthy or natural the way they transitioned, right? This is the reaction formation. Uh, another example could be that a person is, let's say, unconsciously attracted to atheistic philosophy. Uh, and so they're the person who's constantly outwardly voicing extreme hatred of atheists whenever you're hanging out with them. It's like, dude, all right, we get it. Relax, you know? It's like, why are you always so hard and yelling about atheists all day. It's like maybe because the person themselves may lean towards that idea, right? But they don't know how to reconcile it. Reaction formation. One of my favorites as well, displacement. Displacement is a common defense mechanism. It's when we express our feelings that would be otherwise threatening if directed at the real target onto a less threatening substitute target. So for instance, Sally gets reprimanded by her boss and goes home to angrily pick a fight with her husband about not doing the dishes. Then the husband gets angry and yells at all the kids for watching TV and that they're not doing their homework. So he makes them all go upstairs. And then the big brother says, all of you go to your room. No one come in my room to do homework. I want to do homework by myself. Everyone get out of here. So he's yelling at the kids. And then the little girl, the youngest of the kids, yells at the cat and says, hey, get out of here. He stops. Just don't sit on my bed. This is displacement. Basically, I have all this energy and charge and I can't respond to the person that caused me that energy or charge. Like, Sally could not yell back at her boss or reprimand her boss because it's a threatening situation. So she, what she can do is take it out on her husband when, when she goes home. And the husband can take it out on the kids. And the kids can take it out on a younger kid. And the younger kid can take it out on the pet or the cat. That's displacement. I'll leave you with one more to reflect on in your day-to-day -day life. These are things that I reflected on in my birthday. You know, how am I still in denial? What are the common defense mechanisms that everybody uses? I observe these defense mechanisms in others and myself. And it's very important to recognize the different forms that denial or the opposite of shahada can actually manifest in your day-to-day -day life. It's not just about that first pillar of Islam alone. And it doesn't mean just that. It means being honest and testifying to the truth and what is real in general. The last defense mechanism I'd like to share is compensation or substitution. 
This is when we are trying to make up for areas in which a lack is perceived by becoming superior in some other area of our lives. So, for instance, you know, Ronald is not good at athletics, so he puts all of his energies into becoming an academic scholar or a religious scholar. You know, we know a bunch of people are not good at school. It's not like, oh, I'm going to go study Islam and become a scholar. It's like, yeah, we don't need more dumb scholars. You know, if you're not very good at academics or studying, we don't need people like that studying more Islam and being the leaders of our communities. I'm sorry. But that's actually sadly the case in some some uh, of our history. You know, like in, I know, for example, in Egypt, you can't study certain um, subjects like engineering or medicine or law unless you score, um, you have a certain score on the, you, you know, university entrance exam. And guess what is the only um, subject or major you can get if you score low, like you still have something you can do? It's Islamic studies, believe it or not. And this is set up by some colonizing forces in our countries. This is why we get a lot of imams that they're not, they're the people who couldn't become the brain surgeons and the engineers and the computer scientists. And so they went and just like, all right, I'll go study Islam and get a job at a local masjid and like, you know, perform all that stuff so I can have something. But that's actually the case in some places, which is scary. So we don't need more of those. But compensation is I see this, for instance, like a husband who's not really good at being a father or a husband. So he spends more time being a workaholic and crushing it at his corporate job. And I get all these awards and I get, you know, salary boosts and I'm amazing. But he, the guy's just overcompensating because he's in denial that he's failing at his job of being a father or a husband, right? A wife can do the same thing. She recognizes or is in denial of her own role as being a wife or she's not fulfilling her husband's needs so she overcompensates all her energy and love and nourishment with the kids it's all about the kids it's all about the kids obsessive about being a mother and the children that's all that matters it's like well the children got here because of your husband so he shouldn't be left out of the equation but this is another way we sometimes overcompensate i'm sharing this because as someone who just turned 39 finishing my last year of the 30s here you know i sat with myself and and thought about these concepts of pain and pleasure and how they manifest in sophisticated ways, this concept of ghafla and dhikra and truth and denial and how they manifest in different ways. And I'm reminded of these principles all the time from my work because a lot of times I'm helping people get out of the dark and see the light, you know, give them vision. Half of our suffering, ladies and gentlemen, is because we're in the dark about why we're the way we are. And remember, there is nothing wrong with you. It's usually about what happened to you. And if I don't face what happened to me, I'm in denial of what happened to me, which means I lose power over my destiny or my path or my truth because I'm not facing reality. So I'm not really working with full reality when I remain in denial or I remain welded to all kinds of defense mechanisms that keep my ego safe and comfortable and protect me from threats in my social, physical, emotional, or even spiritual environments. People have defense mechanisms, wallahi, project, you know, onto God. They project stuff onto Allah or they rationalize to keep sinning because of some other thing, right? Like, well, it's okay if I watch porn all the time. It's rationalizing this because uh, it's better than committing zina every Friday night, right? It's like, okay. There's only so long these mechanisms will take us until we hit another harder wall, right? And that's usually what happens to a lot of people is 
They're able to break down some walls, but as they get thicker and stronger, you can't get that much further if you're still in denial about some foundational qualities or character traits in yourself. So, on your next birthday, think about maybe these things and how you can improve in your dhikra, decrease your ghafla, accept more truth, and remove more denial. And some tips I'll give everybody is the following. Number one, we've got to get comfortable with discomfort. The reason why we use all these defense mechanisms is because we don't like feeling uncomfortable or threatened or hurt. Fine, natural, I get it. But let me give you an example how this works. The pain value exchange system, if you will, right? We all know that everyone's going to experience discomfort in life, whether you like it or not. That's going to happen. So people got to wake up to this reality and face it and stop being in denial. Life is not supposed to be this endless bliss of pleasure and joy. And many people are functioning this way, right? It's like they can't have a day or a week where they're not feeling super happy or excited. It's like you're, the world isn't here to cater to one emotion or one experience, right? And that's one of the laws of the universe is the laws of opposites or pairs or polarity, um, the law of gender. There's a yin and yang, a masculine, feminine energy in all things. And Allah tells us this in the Quran. So you can't experience anything without the opposite force or energy or complementing energies existing. Otherwise, how do I know I'm me if I am not in contrast to someone that's not me or someone who's not like me? We need these opposite forces and energies. So discomfort is going to exist, whether we like it or not. But sometimes suffering is up to us. Sometimes it's self-ascribed suffering. If I can't get comfortable with discomfort, then I'm never going to learn how to face my denial. So for instance, if I am very uncomfortable at my physical image, body image right now, every time I look in the mirror, I'm like, dude, you look gross. You can't even fit into your jeans from college anymore. Oh, this is, it's painful, right? It's, I feel uncomfortable. I don't look good. I don't feel good. I am ashamed of myself. I don't like the way I feel and look. That's a type of pain and discomfort. But if I, Kareem, decide to stop eating, you know, whatever I want when I want, I start having a routine around exercise and movement and sweating and sleeping better and cutting down on my portions, that's also a type of discomfort given my current state, right? Where I'm just letting myself go and I'm, I don't care. They're both painful situations. Being fat, being, you know, uncomfortable with how I look, or sacrificing enjoying all the the you know food and and sugar and all the things i like to get into shape that's also going to be a path of suffering both of them i'm going to have discomfort and some suffering but which path is ultimately going to be better for me right so this is an example of getting comfortable discomfort you have to recognize you're going to feel discomfort with whatever choices you're going to make right really you're going to be uncomfortable being unemployed and not applying for jobs and watching TV all day and months go by. You're going to feel like, you know, you're not going to feel so good about yourself. You're also not going to um, feel great if you're constantly applying and, and doing interviews and not getting jobs and they're still saying, no, thank you. You don't know how to fit. That hurts too. But which one's actually going to get you to a successful side ultimately? It's the suffering through the job interview process, through hustling, through making those phone calls, through calling them back, following up, applying, retweaking your resume. That's the suffering you actually want, right? That's step number one. 
to start avoiding denial. Step number two is when you are confronted or given feedback about your denial or a defense mechanism you keep using, when you say the shahada, remember that it means I have to bear witness and testify to what is true and real, right? Beyond the religious pillar of Islam, really. Or else, how can you be continue to be a good Muslim or believer if, yeah, I said the shahada, but after that I'm in denial about all the truth about things? That's how you get Muslims today who are like, yeah, I'm Muslim, but I deny these parts of the Quran and the Sunnah. I deny these laws of Sharia. Or, yeah, I pray five times a day, but I am in denial that I constantly backbite and sabotage my sister-in-law or my daughter-in-law, or I am cheating on my wife, or I married behind her back. I have a second wife rationalization. I have a second wife and I need it and it's my Islamic right. But then I'm living in denial and dishonesty with my first wife and family. And to her, it's as if I'm having an affair and everything just blows up. You know, I mean, this is happening for people. So, Having shahada in your process is part of what it means to be a believer. The Prophet ﷺ told us, a man asked him, can I still be a mu'min, a believer, if I commit zina, if I drink alcohol, if I... He listed a, a bunch of major sins. The Prophet said, yes, you can still actually technically be a believer while committing major sins. It's about what you make with them, do with them, right? Are you making tawbah? Do you feel the remorse? And it's not. And then the companion asked, can I be a believer if I'm a liar? The Prophet said, no. He said, no. You can't be a believer if your perpetual character pattern is, I am a person who's always in denial. This is a very serious thing. So that's number two. Number three, learn to accept and try to be open to receive. Ask yourself when someone calls something out in you, just say, look, if there's a, just a 50% chance that what my wife or friend or mom or dad or cousin Co-workers telling me, if there's just a 50% chance there's truth to this, I should give it a few minutes and think about it. And then step three is, have I heard this feedback before? Has someone told me before, dude, you're projecting or I don't think you're facing this part of yourself or you're not accepting the reality of something that's actually happening right now. Your, your child needs help or your marriage is sinking or you're losing your path. You have to ask yourself, has, uh, have others told this to me before? Have I heard this before? Because if you have, perhaps it's a way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keeps, you know, sending you a text message like, hey, are you paying attention? I keep sending you the same message and you're ignoring it, pretending like it's unread. It's time to face it. May Allah grant all of us guidance and vision and knowledge and help us with our denial and defense mechanisms that keep us stunted and blocked from becoming better versions of ourselves. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Have a lovely week, everybody.
denial. 